0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate Scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome back to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. When did the first sacrifice in Scripture happen? take place. Here's a Bible trivia question for you. Any ideas? Any guesses? Well, if you're like most people, you might have responded that it took place in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God brought them aside, questioned them, and then to show them the seriousness of their sin killed an animal, a lamb or something in their presence to show them what happens when you sin. And then from the skin of that animal, he made clothes for them and then kicked them out of the garden of Eden as they wore the hide of this dead animal to remind them, don't sin. (laughs) Well, uh, that idea is often taught, (laughs) you know, that uh, this is when the first sacrifice occurred. But I'm going to show you something quite a bit different today from Genesis 3, 20 and 21, so stick around. Before we look at that, though, I hope you have subscribed to my email newsletter. If so, check your email from yesterday, if you're listening to this podcast the day it came out, because I announced this new exciting development, this new element, new part of my blog at redeeminggod.com, and how... It's going to help all of us connect with each other and learn to follow Jesus better than ever. Understand the scriptures, liberate you from scripture and religion. I mean, liberate scripture from religion. And, and look, all these things I, I I love doing and and hope to do through my blog, through my uh, ministry teaching website, all of that. Uh, I treat my newsletter subscribers sort of like a you know inner circle of friends or something like that, so uh, they get to know first about everything new, which is why. I told them about it, but not you yet. Unless you are a subscriber, then you get it. So if you want to make sure that you find out what this is, this new area to my ministry, to my blog, to my website, you can still subscribe. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Enter your name and email address there. And then you'll get notified of all the new things in the future. And then also this new thing right now that I'm I'm, uh, launching this week. So uh, hope to see you there as my one of my inner circle of friends. <laughs> All right, stick around. We're going to pick back up Genesis 3, 2021 in just a minute. Okay, so you're probably familiar with the children's story, The Emperor Who Had No Clothes. It's the story about this foolish emperor who got tricked into paying a hefty sum of money to, uh, for, to these, these two guys who made invisible clothes for him. The tailors convinced him and his entire court that uh, the, the clothes were invisible only to fools. Of course, uh, the king couldn't see the clothes, and nobody in his court could either, but none of them wanted to admit that they couldn't see the clothes because then they would be admitting that they were a fool. And so, of course, all of them said, oh, yes, I can see the clothes. Very, very nice. Oh, look at the stitching here, you know, and the collars. That, that sort of the thing. And uh, the rest of the, the, the people followed suit, pun intended. <laughs> and eventually the king ended up parading around town in his birthday suit. He had no clothes on. Uh, in the story, it took a little child to finally shout out that the emperor has no clothes on. And uh, that's when the rest of the people realized that it was actually true. Today, in Genesis 3 20 and 21, we're going to see a similar sort of thing happen. Um, well, actually, I-, I chose that story for two reasons. We're actually seeing an opposite thing, but also a similar thing. First, we're going to see two emperors who do not have clothes and they put some clothes on, they get given some very nice clothes. Uh, and then we're also going to see that there is a an important theological truth from Genesis 3, 20 and 21, But the theological truth is actually the opposite of what most people think it's there. Most people think there is a theological truth here, which isn't there. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be that little child in the street shouting it out. The emperor has no clothes on. <laughs> uh, the truth that most people think they see in Genesis three twenty one is not actually there. And if you're like me and you don't see it, you no longer have to feel like a fool (laughs) because you're not a fool. The truth isn't there. It never has been. And uh, it it wasn't in the very beginning either. So uh, we'll take a careful look and uh, I'll I'll, I'll jump first and be like that little child shouting out, the emperor has no clothes on. And then uh, we all can join together, recognizing what is not in fact there. In Genesis 3.21. Anyway, I'll share with you what I think and uh, then let you decide for yourself. So let's begin though by looking at Genesis 3.20. Here is where Adam named his wife Eve. Uh, it says because she was the mother of all living. Uh, a couple things to note here. First, the text says she she was the mother of all living. The Hebrew verb here, word here, it's in the past tense which sort of indicates that she had already become a mother. And I, I read lots of commentaries on this. They're all confused by this. It's past tense here. She hasn't given birth yet. Cain and Abel won't happen until Genesis chapter 4. So so how can this be in the past tense, all this? Uh, in fact, one commentary said that uh, probably this means that Cain and Abel had actually already been born. Uh, but that that causes problems then for Genesis 4, how to understand that where it seems that Eve gives birth to Cain and Abel after she and Adam are kicked out of the garden. So uh, for, for me, I just take it as it's sort of, uh, it's in the past tense, but it's speaking of a certain future action as if it was already to happen. I, I think of uh, in Romans 8, where Paul tells that we, uh, speaks of our, our glorification as being in the past tense. Well, are you and I glorified yet? No, <laughs> we're not. Uh, but we we it is so certain that we will be glorified because of what Jesus has done for us, uh, what God has given to us that Paul can speak of a future event in the past tense. So um to, to put it more in uh, common common events today, you and I might do this like here on November eighth in the United States, we are having a presidential election. So on November 9th, depending on who wins that election, you might hear people. Talk about how one candidate or the other has become the next president. Did you hear that? It's sort of in the past tense. Well, we've now, you know, the, the president so-and-so has become president. Well, technically, whoever wins the election doesn't become president until January 20th, 2017. So between November 9th and January 20th, people will still speak of so-and-so becoming president uh, in, in the past tense because of the election, even though they have not yet become president until a couple of months later. So they're speaking of a future event that is certain to happen in the past tense. I think that's sort of what's going on here. Not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. So let's move on in the text. Um, Adam names his wife Eve, and the text says he named her this because she was the mother of all the living. Again, commentaries, commentators, you really have a field day with this because the Hebrew word for living does not sound a whole lot like the Hebrew word for Eve the Hebrew word for Eve is hawa and the Hebrew verb for living is haya all right so you can hear they both start with sort of a ha sound uh, but then there's the who sound in Eve and a yeah sound in in living anyway they, they they go off on this and say what how is this say anyway Look, we could, we could get sidetracked on all these little minutiae details. I, I think probably Victor Hamilton is probably correct on this. As we all know, languages change over time. And so maybe way back in an early form of Hebrew, um, you know, before what happens with the Tower of Babel and the confusing of languages, we don't know exactly what language Adam and Eve were speaking, blah, 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 so on and so forth that the Hebrew word or the the word for to live that Adam and Eve were speaking was probably something closer to the word for Eve, hawa. Again, not a big deal. Uh, It's not the point of the text as far as I am concerned. The big point of verse 20 is that Adam names his wife. text says, Adam called his wife's name Eve. And to me, this is super significant. And of course, most commentaries... (laughs) don't even don't even mention it. Uh, some do. but uh, recall that back in Genesis 3:16, God told the woman that one consequence to eating the forbidden fruit was that the man would try to rule over her. And I think that that is already beginning to happen right here. I believe that when Adam names his wife Eve, this is the first step in him, trying to dominate her how do we see that well remember that naming is one of those seven key activities of god and it is one of the seven key activities which god gave to adam and eve and uh, back in genesis 1:28, god told adam to have dominion over the animals to rule over the the plants and animals and birds and fish of the fish of the uh, of the earth and then in Genesis 2:19 God invited Adam to begin exercising practicing this dominion over the animals by naming them. So here when Adam gives a name to his wife, it seems to me that the text is pretty clear, he is trying to exert authority and dominion and rule over her the same way he exerted authority and dominion and rulership over the animals the parallels are pretty clear uh, in fact this is this is especially significant uh, in that adam's action here of naming eve follows immediately after god's words to adam in genesis 3:17 where where god sort of chides adam for listening to to to, to eve to his, to his wife instead of listening to to, to what god had said uh, in Genesis 3.17, God basically says, you should have listened to me instead of to your wife. Again, we talked about that last time. God isn't telling men here to not listen to their wives, quite the contrary. But the fact that, that the woman had bad information in the first place was Adam's fault as well. Anyway, here, go, go back, listen to last week's episode to, to, uh, to hear about that. But here in Genesis 3.20, Adam is basically saying, okay, okay, God, all right, I'll obey you now. She led me astray because I listened to her, so I now see I need to be in control of her. (laughs) Did he? No. (laughs) He needed to be in control of himself. But anyway, so Adam goes on to say, and since, you know, since I exerted my right to rule over the animals by naming them, I will exert my control over my wife by naming her. I will name her just like I named the animals. I will have dominion over her and rule over her and control her just like I have dominion and rule and control over the animals. And so he names his wife Eve. Um, in fact, another line of support to show this is because you notice in Genesis 3.21, we'll look at that in in just a minute, that when God, uh, speaks here, uh, when the text speaks here of God's actions, I should say, the text does not use the name Eve, but simply uses the the, the word for wife there, which is Isha. Okay, so I, I, I know, and you might say, Jeremy, you've been using the word Eve, the name Eve, all the way through Genesis 3, your explanation. Je- I know I have. That's because... I, I, I just couldn't say the woman or the wife, his wife, all the, t- all the time. It, I don't know. I, I probably could have, I suppose. This is the first time Eve is used, and I suppose maybe I should have done the same thing. I was trying to be clear about who I was talking about and so on. Um, I wasn't trying to do what Adam is doing here and showing that, that men need to rule and control women. Uh, anyway, here's the point. What is Adam doing? By naming Eve, he is sort of lowering her value to that of an animal. And in many ways, history, society, culture has shown that men have done this ever since. It's this whole thing about men trying to rule over women, have control over them. So, um, now, it is true that God's words to Adam in Genesis 3.17 were that Adam should have followed God's instructions, okay? But notice again, Adam did follow God's instructions in naming the animals, Right? But, but God did not instruct Adam to name the woman. So again, in an attempt to follow the instructions of God, Adam is once again going beyond what God actually said. <laughs> we saw this before. When God told Adam, don't eat from this tree, And then Adam was expected to pass on this instruction to Eve. And when Eve passes on, tells the serpent what God said, well, she's added to it. Did she add to it? No, I believe firmly that Adam is the one who added to it. We see sort of a pattern happening here. God tells humans something humans add to it. Again, we've talked about that in previous podcast episodes, the fencing around the law. It's always a bad idea. Uh, And that's what we see God doing here or I'm sorry, Adam doing here. God says to Adam, name the animals. Okay, fine. Have rule and dominion. over. Them. Okay, fine. God never says, name your wife. But he does say, listen to me, <laughs> not your wife. Follow my instructions, not the, the the twisted version of my instructions that you passed on to your wife, and then she turned around and passed on to you. Just listen to me, do what I say. That's all that God says. Adam then decides to add to this and tries to connect the dots, put it all together, and he ends up going beyond what he was told. Tries to control and dominate and rule his wife by naming her. And the problems have continued ever since. So men, uh, let us all stop trying to dominate, rule, and control the women in our lives. Let us instead see them the way God made women, and that is to be co-heirs and equal partners in the tasks that God has given to us. Uh, And By the way, God, all is not lost. God can redeem even this mistake by Adam. Even though Adam makes a mistake here, there is a word of hope in what he names her, at least. He, he gives her the name Life-Giver, Eve, Hawa, and he indicates his knowledge that the two of them will not be the end of humanity. They will live on through the birth of their children, which will come through Eve, and that's what we begin to see in Genesis 4.1 when Eve gives birth to Cain. So anyway, that, that's Genesis 3.20, and um, some insights there into... Human relationships and God's will for our lives. But what about Genesis 321? What do we see here in the text? Uh, here is where we get into this the Emperor Has No Clothes idea that I presented at the sort of the introduction to this podcast. Uh, in this verse, God makes clothes for Adam and Eve. Let me read the text. It says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, the way I read this verse, it is full of love and grace. We see this first in that the verse is clearly in contrast to Genesis 3, 7. Remember what we saw there? After they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they're going to gain all this wisdom and become like God. The very first thing they do is they go out and make clothes for themselves, coverings for themselves, out of fig leaves. Well done. Well done. (laughs) these dry, scratchy, itchy, irritable leaves would have made terrible clothes. <laughs> and so God comes along and he says, yeah, th- th- those are those just look really uncomfortable. That's not going to work. And he makes something more suitable for them. The clothes he gives them are way better than the clothes they tried to make for themselves. We'll talk about what these clothes are in just a minute. Uh, but the second way this verse shows the love and grace of God is that although he is about to send them out of the garden, the, the, the temple of God, the place that was perfect for them, he makes sure to first give them clothes. He's not going to send them out into the world naked. He doesn't shove them out, out of the gate with no clothes on and give them a thumbs up and say, good luck, you sinners. No, that's not what God does. He cares and he provides. All right. But it's even more beautiful than that. The third way that this verse shows the love and grace of God is found in the final phrase of the verse where it says that he clothed them. The Hebrew word here is labesh, and it's used in two main words in Scripture. I'm sorry, two main ways in Scripture. Uh, First, it's often used in reference to when emperors and kings give clothes, special robes, to their honored guests or subjects. Uh, Genesis 41, 1 Samuel 17, other places. Kings giving special clothes, rich clothes, uh, with special embroidery and colors and soft fabrics to their honored guests. Okay, that's, just, that's the first way it's used. Second, it's often used in reference to priests and the clothes, the special clothes they wore during their temple service the linen ephods and so on, okay? So what this means is that when God clothes Adam and his wife, it is not an act of punishment. He's not trying to put fear into them. This is an act of love and care and honor. He is treating them like honored guests in his royal temple. He is treating them like the priests in his temple that they actually are. What this means, listen, What this means is that, from God's perspective, absolutely nothing has changed. Remember, before Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what were they? They were God's royal emissaries, his honored guests. They were his priests in the temple of God, the priesthood of God, performing the service of God in the temple of God. Okay, well, now, after they've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what are they? They're the same. Nothing has changed. They are still God's royal ambassadors, the priesthood of God, being sent out into the world to perform God's service in his temple. Absolutely nothing has changed from God's perspective. This is so critical for you to understand when it comes to disobedience. When you disobey God, you know, you feel like God is out to get you, like he's, he hates you, like he's out to punish you, he's out to make your life miserable and destroy your life. And listen, sometimes disobedience does hurt us. It does harm us. It does hinder our ability to do what God made us to do. Uh, it does affect our view of God. But even though these things happen, none of these things are from God. And no matter what, God's view of you has not changed one tiny bit. He is not the one who punishes you, who is out to destroy you. He does not hate you. From God's perspective, nothing changed. Get that through. Remember that. Focus on that truth because lots of life and theology and pastors and teachers and Christians are going to tell you the opposite. Over and over again in the scripture, we will see, we have seen We see it especially in Jesus that God always loves, always forgives, always accepts, always blesses, always protects, always walks with us through life, no matter what. And that's what we see here in Genesis 3.21. This is a beautiful portrait of what God is actually like. And it is here, though, where we get to this, the emperor who had no clothes idea, okay? You might be listening to what I just told you, and and you might have thought to yourself, yeah, but Jeremy, we all know that God had to show Adam and Eve the seriousness of their sin. And so, you know, they sin, and and God says, okay, he rounds them up and says, okay, I'm going to show you how serious your sin is. See that cute little lamb over there? Bring him here. And God takes this cute little lamb. We know this, Jeremy. We know this. God takes his cute little lamb and he builds an altar. And right in front of Adam and Eve, he kills it. He slaughters it. And the blood goes all over the place. And then from the hide of this cute little lamb, he makes clothes for them and gives them this animal skin. So that as they go out from the Garden of Eden, you know, they're always wearing this constant reminder that sin brings death, that sin requires a blood sacrifice. That sin is a serious affront to the holiness of God. And when we sin, payment must be made. We know it. That's what Genesis 3.21 is saying. Everybody knows it. We were taught that in kindergarten. Hmm. Let me be the child in the crowd. And shout out, the emperor has no clothes on. Let me read Genesis 3.21 to you again, and you tell me if you hear anything whatsoever in this verse about God killing an animal to pay for sin, and then making clothes for Adam and Eve from the hide of that animal. Are you ready? Here it is. Genesis 3.21. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Listen, I I just don't see it. There's no sacrifice of an animal here. There's no mention of a lamb. There's no ver there, there, there's no blood. There's no altar, there's no knife, there's no there's nothing. And, and there's no verse in the Bible which says God killed an animal here either. <laughs> you just can't find it it's nowhere. There's no blood sacrifice in Genesis 321. All right, I I know I know. I know what some Christians say though because I've read the books, I've listened to sermons as well. In fact, Maybe sometime early in my ministry, I might have actually preached this. I'm, I couldn't find the sermon text, so I can't verify. But anyway, here, here's what here's what some some of us will say. Oh, but but we know that sin demands blood sacrifice, and we know that God requires death. Sin leads to death, after all. And since we know this to be true, you know, everybody who knows anything about God, sin, and Scripture will clearly see that sacrifice must be here in Genesis three twenty one. Only fools deny it. Well, listen, call me a fool then, but I deny it. The emperor has no clothes on. There's nothing in this text about God slaughtering an animal in front of Adam and Eve to show them the terrible price of their sin. Nothing like that is taking place. You might say, yeah, but Jeremy says he gave them tunics of skin. What is that then? Ah, good question. Let's talk about it. All right, first, the Hebrew word for tunic there refers to a linen tunic, not to leather, not ever to leather to the the, 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 the skin or hide of an animal. It refers to linen always. Uh, the, the word for tunic refers to a clothing made from linen. Linen is a, it's a fabric made from the fibers of the flax plant. very ancient type of fabric and uh, it's in fact the world's strongest natural fiber. And it was valued in the Middle East because of its exceptional durability and coolness in hot weather. So this is the clothing that God makes for Adam and Eve. It's it's linen. And uh, for all I know, he taught them here how to make it. Apparently, it's a very laborious, time-consuming process to make linen clothing. But but, uh, maybe this is where it came from. And God taught them, okay, here's what you do. The flax plant, see this plant, here's what you do. And then you make it and you create the, the process. He he makes them clothes, linen clothes. The word word here does not refer to clothing made from the hide of a dead animal. You know, a a, a sheepskin coat or leather or anything like that. What about that word for skin, though? All right. Well, yes, this word can refer to the skin of an animal. But guess what? It doesn't always, and I didn't do the math, but lots of the Bible references I would I would hazard a guess to say even the majority of the Bible references I looked up, where this word for skin is used, all right, actually refers to the outer covering of a human, our clothing, not our skin, but our clothing. Probably the best translation here is covering. And when it's referring to an animal, well, their covering is their skin, their coat, uh, their 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 outer their outer covering. But um, when we refer to the covering of humans. We don't refer to our skin. It's our clothing that we wear. Okay, so so the word used there best probably translated as covering, and while it can refer to animal skin, it it most often I would think refers to just simple human clothing. Okay, so the best way to understand Genesis three twenty one is that God gave linen clothing to Adam and Eve as a covering for their nakedness. God gave them linen clothes. Genesis 3.21 could be translated. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made linen coverings and clothed them. Tunic coverings. Okay? So, the picture we all saw on Sunday school of Adam and Eve standing naked in the garden, still with their fig leaves on, maybe. Well, they watched God slaughter a young lamb on a sacrificial altar is not an accurate representation of what Genesis 3:21 actually says. Most people think that God initiated the first sacrifice in the Bible in Genesis 3:21. Show them this seriousness of their, of their sin. Yet a careful reading of Genesis 3 reveals no mention of sacrifice whatsoever in the text. Genesis 3.21 does say that God gave them tunics of skin for clothing, okay? But the tunics are not the sacrificial hide of an animal. God does not kill an animal, okay? There's not an animal even present here in order to get those clothes. He makes them linen clothing. And this linen clothing, remember, is a way to honor them as honored guests in his courtyard, to prepare them to be the temple, the priesthood temple that he made them to be in, in his temple. He is treating them like royal emissaries, ambassadors, priests, entering into their service. <laughs> Same way he always had intended them to be. There's no death, no bloody sacrifice in Genesis 321. God doesn't need it, he doesn't require it, he doesn't even ask for it. He can freely forgive and freely bless, as he always has done, and as he does here. For Adam and Eve. What about him casting them out of the Garden of Eden, though? Verses twenty-two through twenty-four. Isn't God angry there? Well, we'll look at that next week. For now, just remember that the next time someone tells you God performed the first sacrifice in the Bible, uh, in Genesis three twenty-one, sin demands payment. Look, have courage you're not foolish if you don't see it. In fact, you're very wise. Shout out, the emperor has no clothes on. There's no sacrifice in Genesis 3. And you should not be ashamed to make it known. God loves, accepts, blesses, protects, provides, simply because that is what God always does. I hope that's an encouragement to you. No matter what you've done, Never think God is out to get you, to punish you, to make you pay, to cause you to suffer. God doesn't do that. Instead, like Adam and his wife here, he wants to give you clothes of honor, send you out as priests, as a priesthood in the temple of his creation. That's a refreshing way to view God, isn't it? Next time God, you know, someone says, God's angry, bloodthirsty, out to punish you. Don't believe them. I'm pleading with you. This is not the God of the Bible. That God, the angry, death-dealing, bloodthirsty God. Okay, It's like the emperor who has no clothes on. People don't want to believe in and worship that God, right? But they do because they don't want to appear foolish. They're afraid not to because... Look, if God is that angry, death-dealing, bloodthirsty God, well, you better not say, I'm not sure I really want to worship that God because what? He's going to smack you. <laughs> Stand up. Listen, God is not that way. Jesus reveals this so clearly. God is not that way. So so have courage. Stand up and shout it out. The emperor has no clothes on. God does not punish. God does not kill. God does not make life miserable because of something you did. He only blesses, helps, heals Restores, protects, provides, as we see him doing here in Genesis 3, 20 and 21. Listen, if you want to learn more about how to view God this way, you will definitely want to be part of this new development, this new area on my website. Uh, And again, I'm letting newsletter subscribers hear about it first. In fact, they already have by the time this gets published this podcast so uh, you know they get the inside scoop and if you want the inside scoop what's going on both now and in the future all you have to do is re- subscribe go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe i want to let you know about these things too and uh, just enter your name email address press that submit button and uh, i'll let you know how i'm opening up a whole new area in my site which is going to help you view god this way you're going to understand some of these difficult texts in scripture this way you're going to see once and for all what God thinks about your sin, huh, which doesn't really bother him at all. He's going to You're going to see how much God loves you, forgives you, accepts you, and blesses you. So I uh, hope you do that. RedeemingGod.com slash subscribe. I hope to see you there. Next time, uh, we're going to finish up Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see that when God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, that even in that action, God is not punishing them but is instead blessing and protecting them. Join us next time as we look at that critical truth. See you then.